Thank you for tuning in to the latest message from Island Church, Dundalk. Welcome to church. Amen. It is wonderful to be here. It is wonderful to be with Jesus this morning. Amen. I don't want to be anywhere where he doesn't show up. Amen. I don't want, like true unity in the body, you know, the beauty that's in the corporate gathering and God's design and intention for it is so that he is there in the midst of it. It's not just a bunch of people gathering in a room who know a few things. Ah, oh, church, it's about his presence. It's about him coming to be with us. Amen. And I love this body. I love each and every one of you. And I love that Jesus comes here. Amen. And he has the freedom to do what he needs to do. So you're very welcome here. And uh, let's hear what the Word of God has to say to us here this morning. I've been talking about here for the last couple of weeks, just on humility. And, you know, I've been asking the Lord, you know, is this the way you want me to continue? Is this the direction you want me to continue on? And he's just, he's just given me the go-ahead to continue talking about these things. And you know what? Sometimes, you know, we can be, <laughs> I know I can anyway, and as humans, we can be very stubborn, <laughs> You know, and sometimes, you know, we know this, there's so many stats that talks about, you know, how many times we need to hear something in order to actually retain it. That's crazy. Like it's, it's, you know, and we only retain a certain percentage of something each time. But like sometimes the Lord continues to speak until we get it, <laughs> you know, and just like people who, who are teaching faith, you know, 40, 50, 60 years, you know, and it's like, we get fresh revelation on it every time we hear it. Why? Because sometimes it just takes that moment where we get it. It drops into our spirit. We grab a hold of it. And when that word becomes our own, that's where the power is. So we've been talking about these things. And we've been talking about humility. And, you know, sometimes we just need to hear it and hear it and wash ourselves with it until we grab a hold of it and start applying it to our lives. And humility is such an important ingredient in our walk with the Lord, for the body of Christ, you know, for revival in this land and around this world, for us to see the glory of God fall upon this generation, we are going to be able to usher that in as God's people, as his church, as his bride, we're going to need to become humble. We're going to need to clothe ourselves in true, pure biblical humility. And I've taken many weeks here since the new year just talking about what that even looks like and different aspects of it, right? And last week, I started talking about the grace of God, how the grace of God, it's like a current. And we are swimming in the current of his grace when, we are clothing, when we're clothed in humility. Why? Because the Bible says in James 4, 6 that he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. So the, the humble ones, those that are walking in humility are graced by God. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? We are, you know, swimming along and it's the power is in the current, the grace current that comes from him. It's not anything that we're doing, we're just yielding to it. It's manifested through us and he, like I said last week and many times, the Lord desires to move through his body. But what's happened is the body has started to, you know, take some of the glory and make things about them and, you know, self-promotion and all of these things, you know, and I, I just want us to remain in that place where we realize nothing is about us. 
Everything is about him. And without him, what would this, what would this even look like? I don't want to know. He is, he is everything. And he needs to be everything to each and every one of us. Right? So, humility is that deep place of surrender to the Lord, which, where his will is sought after and implemented. Right? So, we know it's not about us. It's, it's about what we desire to implement. It's about him. And that's what, what true humility looks like. When you get to that place where, Lord, I think it should be done this way. I had visions of it being done this way, and I have dreams to do this way or whatever. But I know I'm here on this earth to do your will. And I'm here on this earth to obey you, to implement your mission. That's why we've been co-missioned. It's his mission. It's not our own mission. It's not our own, you know, plans or desires. It's his. And that's, humility is getting to that place where that alone is sought after, okay? He's looking for those people in his body to get to this deep place so that we will be completely anchored in glorifying him and making him known. And I, I love this, you know, something that was taught to me from when I was a young age, you know, two things that we should keep in our hearts and constantly before us is we get to that place of knowing him and then making him known. Because you can't make him known unless you know him. You can tell people about some guy called Jesus, you know, but if you don't truly know him on an intimate level, gnosko, experientially, you know, by experience and by encounter, it's going to be difficult for you to make him known in any sort of a way that does, it, that does him justice. Amen? Living our lives by him, under him, by, by, by his power, by his grace, and submitted under him is the best way to make him known. More so than the words that we can actually speak, because people will see him at work in us, right? It's so clear to me now that we cannot get to where we're desiring to be in Christ if we're the center. And we need to catch this revelation of humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God, which is what it, the word tells us to do in 1 Peter 5. We humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And I talked about this. We humble ourselves. We need to choose to do that. We do that. Okay? And then God exalts us. So we don't need to exalt ourselves. God will exalt us when we humble ourselves. Amen? So... Um, he is the mighty one. And in Romans chapter 6, it refers to our bodies as this piano, as this guitar. We are the instruments. You know, these drums. Like, look at these things sitting up on this stage. Without these people playing them, what are they? An instrument may look pretty. and An instrument may, you know, if you know what it can do, that's wonderful. But, you know, when Brian got off the stage, John got off the stage, and, all, and these people got off the stage, these instruments just sit here lifeless. The beauty is heard when somebody's operating them. The beauty that comes forth from our lives is not because we're great. It's because we've surrendered to the master and his work is beautiful. His power is beautiful. His anointing is beautiful. We're just the instruments. He is playing. He is making the beautiful sound, right? It's not about us, right? The Lord, has the, the Lord needs to have the freedom to work through us to the, to the degree that he desires. And that's what makes the beautiful sound. So 
It's because the one who is operating through us is great, right? He will exalt those who are willing and obedient to humble themselves underneath his mighty hand. Without the musician, the instruments can't do anything worthwhile. They'll just sit there, right? But we have this attitude in the body of Christ at times, you know, and it's like we, we, we develop this thinking that we have a right to be at the center of everything God's doing. I have a right to be here. I have a right to do these things. And, I have a, and it develops this thinking and this, this ideology or this hard attitude of, you know, it's about me. I'm, I, I have a right to be here at the center. I have a right to, be do, to, to do these things. And the wonderful truth is that the Lord works through us. And we can be very much involved in what he's doing. But let me tell you, we can very much get in the way of what he wants to do too. We can, when we have that attitude, develop that thinking, we get in the way of him trying to work instead of flowing with him, right? So, and I talked about this last week, man's ego and pride are detrimental to the mission of Christ being completed through an individual, right? So we need to deal with these things. It can, these things can be blown up so much that it pushes everything else out. And remember I said, his power flows through those who are willing to be invisible, for him to be seen. So we need to be willing to be invisible so that he can be seen. No longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Right? And yes, we partner with him. Yes, he uses us. Yes, we have a physical body here in this earth that people are going to be coming into contact with. But it's a hard attitude of not, not elevating yourself and saying, oh, this, is a, this is what I've done, or this is what I've accomplished, and this is, look what Jesus has done in me. Look at, look at Jesus. Let, let, me, let, me, let me bring you to the person who's changed my life. Everything, everything always gets pointed towards him, right? So there's a current of grace that will get us to where the Lord's calling us to be. But what I was saying last week, church, we can only stay in that current if, we're, if we stay humble. Because when we start becoming prideful or getting lifted up in our hearts or puffed up, the Lord begins to resist, right? As we remain surrendered unto him, his grace carries us, right? And remember I said last week that scripture too, it's like, you know, it talks about the grace of God being our true strength. So the grace of God is our ability to do what he's asked us to do. And the work involved in our part is staying surrendered, that's the work involved. Like people say, well, you know, there's still an effort involved. And I get that. Of course there is. The effort is yielding yourself every day, dealing with your flesh, dealing with those things that are trying to, you know, propel you and lift you up, right? So our part, the work involved in our part is staying surrendered by continually crucifying the flesh and staying in the realm of faith. Because without faith, you can't receive from his grace. It takes both. It's his grace, and he's given us the faith to receive from his grace. I mean, <laughs> he's so good, right? It's all about him and because of him, right? So his grace is there, and we, have, we need to be in faith in order to receive from his grace. That's what salvation's all about. It's a grace gift, but we need to believe in order to receive it, and that's where faith comes in. We're saved by grace through faith. So... As we remain surrendered unto him, his grace is what carries us, right? So if there's areas of our hearts that are prideful, that are selfish, that, and, I, and I'm speaking of these things because a lot of the times we don't realize it. 
We haven't asked the Holy Spirit. Well, this is, why, this is why he leads us to teach things from the Word of God that don't always get taught because, you know, we need to ask ourselves these questions. When was the last time we asked the Holy Spirit in our, in our own time when we're, when we're with him? Lord, is there areas that I'm prideful? Show me if there is. Show me if there is. Because many of the times these things go unnoticed. And I spoke about that, how these things can be very subtle, right? It's not this just, you know, walking around the chest with, with your with your chest puffed up, your head held high, sort of th thinking. It's not always, you know, visible, right, to the human eye. It's, so some of these things can be very conceited and hidden, and we need to deal with them all the same, right? So if we don't do this thing, do these things, we don't ask the Lord, we don't bring these things to the Lord, it, these things can go undealt with, and it frustrates the grace of God, and we're resisted by him. I'm not making this thing up. This is in the word of God. James 4, 6 says this. You know, he gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud, right? So do we really understand what this means, that he resists the proud? We will always be hindered in our ability to flow with the Holy Spirit if we're prideful at heart. There'll always be a hindrance of some form there because if we're prideful at heart, there'll be a resistance from the Lord. So he will always flow with us as much as he can. Why? Because he loves people so much and he desires for his will to be implemented here on this earth and he will continue to use us to the, to the, to the capacity in which we allow him or give him the freedom to. But there can still be hindrances there that we shouldn't want because we want, remember I said, the whole point of this is to grow in 2024, is to move forward, is to mature in Christ and to, to experience more of his glory, more of his anointing, more of his power. And the church are believing for this and we're standing in faith and we're teaching these faith messages and we're getting our, ourselves built up and you know all of these things and we think, I need more faith and I need this and I need that. And what, what we don't realize is we're focusing on the wrong thing. Instead of focusing on him, we're focusing on making ourselves strong and puffing ourselves up. And yes, we need the faith message, and yes, we need all of these things, but it needs to be balanced in the fact that we need this, we need to know how to stay humble. We need to know what humility looks like. We need to know what pride looks like so we can say no to it, right? We will always be hindered in our ability to flow with the Holy Spirit if we're prideful at heart. And I don't want, I don't want to hinder him. I want him to be able to flow through me as much as he desires to and can so I want to remove any of those things that are blocking that, right? There will be a resistance there and the resistance comes from him. We will be unable to swim in the fullness of his grace, right? I want to swim in the fullness of his grace. I don't want to have one arm, one leg in the current and the other part of me is working overtime to try and strive. And No, I want to, I want to be completely surrendered to his grace so he can get me to where I need to be, Right? Faith alone cannot achieve anything. Faith alone cannot achieve anything. Faith gives you access to the grace of God, and it's the grace of God that contains the power. Without faith, you can't access grace. Do you understand? So if your faith alone cannot save you, it cannot, you know, do anything for you, we need it, and it's, without it, we can't please God. And it is so important. Our life, our lifestyle is a life of faith. It should be. But our faith alone cannot save us, right? But his grace can. And when they're coupled together, that's where it's powerful, right? So don't allow the victories you've experienced in the past to puff you up. Learn to lean on his grace every moment of every day. 
In the book of Acts, in chapter 4 and verse 33, it says, With great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. We talk about the early church a lot. You know, we look to them a lot. We say, Lord, I want to be there. I want to be, you know, so surrendered just like they were. So you're like, I'm able to, like I mentioned here on Wednesday night, how Peter was walking down the street and even a shadow was healing people. How do we get to that place? Humility. Because it wasn't, Peter knew it was nothing to do with him. It was all Jesus. And he was completely surrendered onto his will. Okay? So the capacity to which God was able to flow through him was great. Because there was room. There was no pride conceded in there, hidden in there, anything like that. Right? So, great grace was upon them all. The grace of God is the reason we can do anything for him. Right? So it's not about our faith, our great experiences. It's about his great grace, which empowers us to live in obedience to his will. That's the purpose of his grace, is so that we can live in obedience to his will. Remember I said, the current, the grace current, it's going one direction. And that's towards his will. It's not about, I'm under grace, so I'm swimming in whatever way I want. No, grace is so that you're empowered to do what he wants you to do. It's going one way. And the, the moment we start resisting that and swimming the other way, it's not good, right? We won't get anywhere. So can you see why humility is such an, an important in ingredient that we can't do without? We need to humble ourselves in order to even fulfill the will of God. So last week, we began to look at the lives of some of the kings in the Old Testament. And I ran out of some time here. We kind of went over last week. But some of these men started off in the right direction. They honored the Lord. They obeyed his commandments. They believed his word right? Wonderful examples that we can look down. The Lord, I, I, for many, many weeks, was taking me through these books where, like, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, all of these, when we learn about these kings, I, I, he, was, he was starting to just bring out so many things, and I knew it was for a particular reason. And then he start, just started sh showing humility, or the lack of, in all of these stories, and how important it was, and how it affected where these men ended up. It affected how these men ended up. So I, we were, I, I took some of these examples last week. Some of them, these were men of faith. The success of each king's reign was built upon their reliance upon God. So, you know, you read through it. There's so many kings through that, through that period of time that was, that was coming. And when they were bad, they were bad. And when they were good, you know, they were good, right? Sometimes they were just polar opposites. And, you know... The success of what made the good kings great was because their reliance was upon God. Their reliance, that's what made them successful. That's what made their, their kingdom strong, right? Their strength was found in him. They were, they were close to the Lord. They sought the Lord. They were, they were intimate with the Lord. And so what happened? They knew how much they needed him. The closer you get to God, the more you realize, I need you. It, I need you more than I did yesterday. I need you more than I did last week. Why? Because I am closer to you, Lord. You've pulled me that bit closer as I've sought after you and I realize how much I need you. And that will get us to the place where we can lean on him more, right? So their strength was found in God. They had mighty kingdoms. They had mighty armies. They had men that were completely surrendered onto them and would serve them till the death. They had unlimited resources and wealth. 
and all of these things. They had built up connections and all of these different allies or whatever. But their strength was not in their kingdom. Their strength was in the reliance upon God and realizing that God was the very one that gave them all of those things. And as soon as they lost sight of that, that's when trouble came. Right? It requires a daily decision to wholeheartedly live for the Lord. Let me tell you something, church. Your decision to live for the Lord is not the day you get saved. It starts there. (laughs) Every single day when you get up, you need to make a decision, I'm going to live for the Lord. Why? Because every single day you'll be dealing with the flesh. Every single day you'll be dealing with persecution. Every single day you'll be dealing with the lies of the enemy that are coming against you, that are trying to get you to stop. So every day you need to make a decision, I'm going to wholeheartedly live for you today. It's one thing getting to this deep place of, of, of humility, but let me tell you, it's another thing entirely to stay there. It's one thing getting into the current of his grace and swimming, but it's another thing staying there. Right? The successes we experience and partake of along the way are for his glory. They're possible because of his empowerment. And as we're swimming in the current of his grace, we're being supernaturally helped. Always remember where this help comes from. So as we're, sw- as we're swimming, there's a supernatural help. We're not doing it on our own strength. But with this, and this is what I was trying to explain last week too, and what I'm trying to get out through these stories is, with that, a strength comes. And we, if, we, if we haven't guarded our hearts, if we haven't been intentional to protect our hearts, we begin to think that this strength is because of us. And that's where pride enters in, right? And that's where self-promotion starts and all of these other things that grieve the Spirit of God, right? So Psalm 121, in the first couple of verses, what does the psalmist say? I will lift up my eyes to the hills, for whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Where does our help come from? It comes from God. His grace, it's his Our help comes from him. So keep your eyes lifted up. And and get this. If you keep your eyes lifted up, it will prevent your heart from being lifted up. See, when your heart's lifted up, it's what you, you get into pride. You think, I'm the great I am. But if you keep your eyes lifted up, setting your affection on the things above, your heart won't get lifted up. But if you keep your eyes down here looking at yourself looking at your accomplishments, looking at your experiences, looking at your, the effect that you've had on people and all of these other things. And, that may, and I'm, that's good. And we want to be effectual and we want to make a difference. We want to bring about change. And yes, but it's all under his grace. It's all under, with his, it's with his strength, not ours. Okay? So it's just, it's a perspective. It's, a, it's keeping your eyes where they should be. Right? So, The supernatural help we receive from God's grace will produce strength, right? The strength is given to us to run the race and to fulfill what God's asked us to do. That's why he strengthens us, right? It's not to go after our own thing. If we're not intentional about keeping pride out, we become self-exalted and we start to elevate ourselves and our pursuits over God, right? So we learned about King Asa last week in 2 Chronicles, and I want to look... Turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 26, really quickly. King Uzziah. So, in 2 Chronicles, 
um, chapter 26. So we looked at King Asa. His story was very similar. But, you know, King Uzziah's story here, right? Again, he was a great king, right? Um, he was faithful to the Lord. His heart was fixed towards God. So he was king of Judah. He had much success. Um, he built a huge army that went out and fought for him. They had the best weaponry, armor, provisions. His fame and success spread far and wide, and every other kingdom knew about King Uzziah. Every other kingdom knew who he was and what was available to him, right? In Second Chronicles uh, 26, it starts to paint a picture that he was a good king. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He reigned for 52 years in Judah. Do you want anything, do you want what you do for the Lord to have longevity? Church, I don't want to start out, you know, strong and then, you know, start to dip and dip and dip and then have no longevity in what I'm doing. I want to keep pressing towards the finish line. I want to keep going. I don't want to start strong and then finish early <laughs> or, or, you know, just get sidetracked by other things. Longevity is important, but it's only possible if we keep our eyes upon him right? 52 years is a pretty long time. He was a prosperous king because he sought the Lord, right? In, in verse 5, it tells us that in chapter 26. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. So when was he prosperous? As long as he sought the Lord, right? For many years, God made him prosperous because he sought the Lord, right? In verse 15 and 16, we, say, we see here that he made devices in Jerusalem. He invented that were made by skillful men to be on towers and on the corners to shoot large stones and large arrows. So his fame spread far and wide, like I said, for he was marvelously, marvelously helped till he became strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up, to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering into the temple of the Lord to, to burn incense on the altar of the Lord. So his fame spread far and wide. He had all of these armies under him. He had all of these people that were subject to him. He had all of this prosperity provision, the best weaponry, the best artillery, all of these things, all invented by the most skillful men in the land. And with this, with this empowerment from God, because he was seeking him, because he was putting him first, came a strength. And this is what I was saying last week about how a strength, our feeling of strength and all, it can be our biggest downfall, again, if we haven't protected our hearts. So with this came this strength. Because it says here, he was marvelously helped. Till when? Till he became strong. And when I, when I think of this, I can't help but think of, of the grace of God. Because by his grace, we gain promotion, we acquire strength, we overcome weaknesses, we progress forward to where he's calling us to be. But often when all of these things come, it, we can get puffed up, we can get our, our hearts become lifted up. And the strength we found in the Lord is mistaken for our own ability. The strength that we once found in the Lord is now mistaken for our own experiences and what we've acquired and what we've accumulated. Because of this, we willingly 
swim out of the current of his grace. It's a decision, right? Pride is a decision. Humbling yourself is a decision. God doesn't kick you out. It's a decision. When you choose to lift yourself up, when you choose to exalt yourself, we swim out of the, under the covering of his grace, right? And then the resistance comes. And this is what, exactly what happened to this king. Because what Isaiah done was he was faithful. He sought the Lord. He was marvelously helped. His pride had a very steep penalty. His pride had a steep penalty and it led to his destruction. And we know that that's what always comes after pride, a fall. Scripture reveals that over 80 valiant men, ah, this just baffles me, how, how much pride can turn a person's heart around. Bear in mind that this king, he sought the Lord. He reigned for 52 years. He was successful for so many years. And over 80 valiant men, priests that served in the temple, because what he done was, in the Old Testament, only the priest could go into the temple and, and burn incense and do these things. But the king, that wasn't his thing. That wasn't his area. But Uzziah had become so puffed up that he thought, I'll do whatever I want and no one's going to stop me. I'll go in and do it. He knew that people, that God had placed people there to do those things. Priests from the tribe, from a, a, a particular tribe, from Levi. He placed priests there to, to do temple duties. And the king was not to do those things. So what Isaiah done was he went in and he done what he shouldn't have done. He transgressed against the Lord. So 81, because it was 80 plus one, men confronted him. Not just one. 81, confronted him and said, what are you doing? You shouldn't have done this. You've transgressed, you've transgressed against the Lord. And they've confronted him and they rebuked him, all of these things. And what did, what did Isaiah do? He became furious. Just like King Asa last week when we seen that, he, when he was confronted by the prophet, he became furious and he resisted. Why? Because pride, it produces a resistance. You begin to resist the authority, the very authority of God. And he went from a man that was seeking the Lord and was successful and was strengthened by God to somebody who was completely against what God was trying to do because of pride. Instead of repenting of his ways, he became furious and he challenged them. So just like King Asa, Uzziah spent the remainder of his days dealing with the consequences of his sin. Let me tell you, sin has consequences. The wages of it is death. So if we yield to sin, it produces consequences in our life. You know, we're not, fr we're not freed from the consequences, Right? We're freed from the power of sin and we shouldn't be participating in the first place. But it comes with consequences. The wages of it is death, right? So what happened to this king was he was a leper until the day of his death. He was cut off from the house of the Lord and he was isolated from his entire kingdom, which is what it tells us in verse 21. 
So he was marvelously helped until he became strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up in pride and it led to his destructive fall. Where does our strength come from? from? May we never lose sight of that. May we never lose sight of where our strength comes from. Pride can lead us to making some very foolish decisions. That decision to go into the temple and do what only the priest should have been doing was a foolish decision on his part. But what caused him to make that? He became blinded with pride. And it made him to make this decision. As long as we continually seek the Lord, which includes listening and obeying him, he will guide us and make our way prosperous. But a sobering truth that I want to reveal to you, which is what the Lord showed me here through this. <laughs> there is a lack of humility. And what this lack will do is it will produce a lack of repentance. When we lack humility, we will lack our ability to come to that place of repentance. Because both in King Asa's story and, king, and this king here, both of them were confronted. Both of them were presented with an opportunity to change and they didn't because of pride. Their lack of humility blocked their ability to come to that place of repentance. So when he was confronted by these priests for his actions, he didn't show any sign of being repentant. He'd become so puffed up that he didn't even realize the error of his ways. This is what I'm saying to you, that pride's not always obvious. Sometimes it needs the Lord to reveal it to, to us, right? Humility produces a tenderness of heart. And we need to always be in a place where our heart is tender. Why? Because if it's not tender, we'll never be in a place where we're willing to change. When the Lord speaks to us, when he's trying to, you know, mold us and shape us and shave things off of us, we need to be tender. If we're hard at heart, the Bible talks about it, church. I, like, look, at it's all through the word. A hard heart is not good. Jesus came, came against hard hearts profusely when he walked this earth. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were all hard-hearted, hard and he rebuked them, right? As long as we remain tender, the Holy Spirit can work, and he can make us, mold or shape us into the image of Jesus. Let me tell you this. Repentance is part of the Christian walk. Without repentance, we can't experience victory. Now, <laughs> repentance is not a topic that gets taught in a lot of churches nowadays and that's a problem and, but, but I'll do it repentance is part of the Christian walk it's not a one time thing it's not a oh I repented when I met the Lord it starts there but repentance is part of the Christian walk right in Revelation chapter 2, in the letters to the churches, Jesus himself said to repent to five out of the seven churches. To the churches, not just to the world, to the churches, he said, repent. So repentance is very much part of the Christian walk, right? It's an attitude of heart right? People get mixed up about what it is and what it's not. Repentance is an attitude of heart, and it's not a one-time thing. It's the Greek word metanoia, 
right? Let me read it to you what this means. It means a change of mind that results in a complete, radical, total change of behavior. A decision to completely change or turn around in the way one is thinking, believing, or living. A total transformation affecting every part of a person's life, both inside and outside, resulting in a behavioral change. That's what repentance is. It's not, I feel sorry. A feeling or an emotion of being sorry is not repentance. It's not regret and it's not guilt. Right? It's not a feeling and it's not an emotion. Repentance is a decision. It's a decision. The decision will bear fruit. The Bible talks about when it's referring to John the Baptist, who was, you know, his baptism was for repentance. It talks about it, there's a fruit of repentance. It bears a fruit. This is what I've just read. It will be seen in your life. True repentance bears fruit, right? So it will, it res, it will result in a change of direction. Now, your feelings, the feeling of guilt or remorse or whatever, these can lead you to repentance, but they're not the same thing or they cannot take the place of repentance, right? 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9 to 10. I'll just read these verses for time's sake because I want to get this out here. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, which leads to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Sin should produce remorse. And remorse should lead people to repentance. But it does not take the place of it. Right? They're not the same thing. When we realize that we've grieved the Spirit of God within us because of an action that we've done, or whatever, right? Just think of even these kings that we've looked at. When they realize that they've done that, think of King David. When he, when he came to that place of repentance, it was because he hurt the heart of God. He grieved God and he says, God, I don't care about anything else. I just don't want to grieve you. I just don't want, Lord, just don't take your presence from me, Lord. So that's what he was, that was what, that's what he, he was interested in. It produces a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. The heart motive behind it is what really matters, right? It's not about a worldly feeling of guilt or sorrow or regret because maybe our sin was found out. It's about a godly sorrow because we've, gained, because we've sinned against the Lord. The very one who took our place and died for our sin. So he paid such a steep penalty. He gave his life. True repentance, godly repentance comes to that place where we've, Lord, I realize you took my place for these things. You've died for me. And I don't want to grieve you. Only the latter produces true repentance. The very one who took our place and died for our sin. When we come to that realization, you recognize true repentance because, like I said, it bears fruit. And what's the fruit of repentance? Change. Change. That's the fruit of repentance. Look at the difference. And I don't have time. I'm not specifically teaching on this, but the Lord just led me this direction because it's important to show that 
when we don't have humility, it blocks our ability to repent and therefore progress on to victory. The difference between Peter and Judas was Peter repented and it produced a change in his life. Judas was remorseful. That's the difference. Peter repented and that produced a change and it produced the ability for him to go on and serve the Lord and become such an important figure in the early church. They were both his disciples. They were both with Jesus every day. When Judas was was caught, when Judas betrayed the Lord, he was remorseful. But it didn't produce a change. Because they're not the same thing. And I'm bringing these things out, church, because I want us to know how dangerous pride can be to this entire process. The heart that has become lifted up and prideful doesn't recognize its need for repentance, so, as so seen in the life of Uzziah and King Asa. Remember I mentioned Manasseh last week, really quickly at the end? King, read, go, I think it's like chapter 30 or 31 of Second Chronicles. He was a f- wicked, foul king. But he came to a place of repentance and he was restored. Why? Because God's grace is wonderful when we come to that place of surrendering to him. Right? In order to walk in the repentance that leads to victory, we need to clothe ourselves in humility. If we remain lowly at heart, we will never elevate ourselves to a place of self-righteousness. If we remain lowly at heart, we won't elevate ourselves to that place of being self-righteous. You know, First John, I don't, I'm not going to teach on that again. I don't have time. But First John's a wonderful book that I love using when I'm teaching these things because it talks about walking in fellowship. First John 1 talks about walking in fellowship with the Lord. As we, as we continue to walk in the light, yielded unto him, listening out to Holy Spirit, changing when he says to change, doing what he says to do. The blood of Jesus covers us from all sin, known and unknown. But when we come out of walking in the light, when we start resisting the Lord, when we start yielding to sin, that's why we have 1 John 1, 9 that says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Confession does not make you right with God. Jesus made you right with God. But what confession does is it restores your relationship. What repentance does, it restores your relationship. What repent, the purpose of repentance is restoration. Peter was restored, Judas wasn't. Because there needs to be a change. There needs to be a coming back to the Father, walking in his light, where the blood of Jesus, where the grace of God covers us, washes us clean. But we still have a choice to participate in anything else. His grace is what empowers us to stay in the right direction. When we truly repent of sin, we turn around, change direction, and enter into the current of his grace. When we're flowing along without resistance, the Lord can position us where he can mightily work through us. Isn't this, church, what we're desiring for? I hope it is. I hope we're praying for it. We're desiring. I want God to use me more this year. And this is what set me on this journey in the first place. This heart of, of Lord, what can we do to do more? What, 
did you ever just get that feeling that you're not doing enough? Lord, what can we do to, do, what can we do to, to achieve more this year, to reach more this year? And this is where he led me. My church needs to humble themselves. My church needs to clothe themselves in, in, in humility so I can exalt them. And when I exalt church, that's where the advertisement is. That's where the power is. That's where the glory is. Why? Because it's all coming from him. And there's pure hearts there. There's, there's pure hearts. Maybe we've been fruitlessly trying to be strong, this independent, full of faith person, but it hasn't got us to where we want to or need to be at this point. Maybe we've been relying on God's grace and we've become strong in the Lord, but we've allowed our hearts to be lifted up. Maybe due to this pride, we've not recognized our need for repentance and it's hindered our, us from walking in victory. A decision to humble ourselves will fix any of these issues and it will get us back on the right track because a humble, repentant heart opens the door for us to come back to the Lord's table. A humble, repentant heart opens the door for us to come back to the Lord's table. He is lovingly longing for that moment. And I want to close with this. In Luke chapter 15, we hear the, the account and we see the account of the prodigal son. Right? Let me turn there because I want to just read a couple of verses to you here before we go. This is another example of the importance of humility and repentance. Let me just read from verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house and heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you have never given me a young goat that I, may make, that, I may, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours comes, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you kill the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should be make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is, and is found. Verse 18 is a good example of true repentance, right? Verse 18 says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. You see, what the son done was he didn't try to justify his actions, what he done was he humbled himself and appealed to his father's mercy. Without humbling himself, and sometimes it takes moments like he experienced, he was eating in the pig's den. If that doesn't humble you, I don't know. 
But sometimes it takes moments where we, when we're like, oh my goodness, I need to humble myself so I can appeal to the mercy of God. Because if he didn't humble himself, he wouldn't have even recognized his need for, God, for his Father's mercy. And that's the thing. Verse 22 is true humility. It says, but the father said to his servants, bring out the robe and the ring and put it on his hand and sandals on his feet. Listen till I tell you this, church. The, the prodigal returned home asking to be a hired servant. But his father, what he done, he restored full sonship. Humility is not living like a hired servant. Hum, true humility is living like a son and a daughter. So don't be walking around thinking you're a hired servant, thinking I'm humble. I've, I've discussed these things. I've addressed these things. Humility is knowing who you are. But it's knowing who has made you who you are. And that's true humility. You've been made a new creation in Christ. You've become his son, his daughter. You've been adopted into the family. But let me say this in closing. This, and I've taught this many times, but this here story, this account that Jesus gave, you know, we, we, feel, we, we take this lovely example of restoration and forgiveness and repentance from it, and we focus on, on, on the prodigal. The prodigal was not the purpose of this parable. The older son was. Because Jesus had just been accused by the Pharisees and the religious leaders. What are you doing sitting with sinners? What are you doing, you know, doing all of these things? And he gave the parable of the lost coin, he gave the parable of the lost sheep, and then he gave the parable of the prodigal son. And he was likening the older son to the Pharisees, rejecting when God's people come back to him. The purpose of the parable is to, to learn some things from the older son, right? Jesus likened him to the religious leaders who were on, what were the, what, what were these, what were the, the hard attitudes of these religious leaders? They were unwilling to see their need for repentance. Why? Because they were so full of pride. They lacked humility. And it stopped them from coming to the Lord's table. Jesus was right there among them and they didn't even know it because they were so full of pride. They trusted in their own abilities and their own righteousness. The older brother, what was he? He was self-centered. He was prideful, which produced an anger towards his younger brother. Remember what Proverbs 13, 10 says, contention and strife come about by pride. Let me tell you this. If there's strife in your life, there's pride somewhere. Oh, but it's the other person. Well, there's your pride there. If there's strife in your life, it's because there's pride. If the older brother had truly loved his father like he was claiming to, he would have rejoiced with him when his brother returned home. But the thing about the older brother was he loved the things that serving his father produced instead of actually loving the father. And that's where the prodigal son started off. He was like, oh, I've have all, I don't want you, but I want what you can give me, so I'm away now. But he went away, squandered it all, but thank goodness that he had <laughs> the sense to come back humble himself, and he was restored because that's the goodness of God. Repentance leads to restoration. This is how we come to the place of repentance. It produces a restoration back into intimacy with the Father. 
what the brother thought his actions in faithfully serving his father should have earned him. He said, I've been here. While he's been away off, I stayed. I served you faithfully. What was he trusting in? What was he focusing on? His own merit, his own faithfulness to his father, his own ability, his own achievements, instead of actually faithfully. He wasn't truly serving the father because if he had, like I said, he would have rejoiced with his father. He was serving so he could get things from his father. How often are we, are we caught out with that church? We're serving him because of what he gives us and not because of him. This shows pride in the older brother's heart. He was claiming his own goodness, just like the Pharisees were trusting in their own self-righteousness, neither of which is acceptable to the Lord. Jesus strongly rebuked this prideful heart attitude. The older brother stayed at home when his younger brother didn't. But that didn't mean anything because his heart wasn't right. He was trusting in his own ability. The prodigal son sinned greatly, just like Manasseh. But he came back to his father in humility and he was restored to his table. The father, let me tell you this, he didn't compromise or accept the prodigal's behavior. He didn't accept his behavior. People think, oh, you know, repentance is a sign of weakness or, you know, forgiveness is a sign of weakness or any of that. No, no, no. It's not. He didn't accept his behavior. He didn't do any. He literally lovingly accepted him back. Because why? Because repentance produced a change and the father seen the change. He's seen the change. Our relationship, our union with the Lord is where the life flows from. It's where the anointing and the power comes from. We need to recognize that. We need to understand how important our union with the Lord is. Church, pride is a dangerous wedge and it will always lead us to, to destruction. Let's continue to ask the Lord to shine his light upon our hearts and reveal any form of pride that may be there. As we continue to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, his grace is sufficient, his mercies are there, and his strength will empower us to walk with him and not just for him. Because we're not walking for him, we're supposed to be walking with him. The older son was walking with the attitude of, I'm doing this for you instead of, I'm doing this with you. We're doing it with the Lord. We're not doing it for the Lord. We are doing it for him, but we're also doing it with him. Amen? Praise God. Let's close. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you, Father, for your presence here this morning. We thank you for your word that is always changing us, challenging us, encouraging us to grow. Holy Spirit, make us more like Jesus. With every word that was spoken, with every, every word that was whispered to our hearts, make us more like Jesus. I pray, Lord, a protection over these people each and every person, Lord, as they vacate out of here, exit out of here, Lord, your hand is upon them. Your protection is covering them, keeping them safe, Lord. Lord, give us opportunities this week to represent you with, with reverence, with honor, with boldness, Lord. We are ambassadors for you, Christ. We love you so, so much. We thank you for your angels that go, go before us, Lord. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you as we dwell in the secret place, Lord of the Most High. We abide under the shadow of your Almighty. No evil shall befall us, no plague shall come near our dwelling place. So I thank you for a blessed and prosperous week this week, Lord. Pray, Lord, that every single day we'll get up and wholeheartedly decide to serve you and to humble ourselves under your mighty hand so you, your grace can continually overwhelm and saturate every part of our lives, empowering us to do exactly what you've called us to do. Lord, it's all about you. And we love you. We honor you, Lord Jesus. 
I thank you, Lord, for this body. I thank you for each person as they're, Lord, stepping into what it is that you've called them to be, Lord, that you're enabling and empowering them also. And I thank you, Lord, that here at Island Church Tundalk, we're covered by your blood, we're empowered by your word, and we're anointed by the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. We are so glad you could join us for our latest message. We are located right in the center of the town, and we would love for you to call in and see us. Details are on our website at islandchurchdundalk.ie.